How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 147 of X Lapsed. Can you believe it? We're only three episodes away from yet another milestone, the 150th episode. I don't even remember which book we have set to discuss that day, but uh, it's coming. It's coming quick. Um, now, today we're going to be talking about a surprising bright spot in the uh, publication lineup here, a book that... Well, you guys have been with me from uh, from the get-go here. You know I was not a fan of this book early on, but it has uh, grown on me uh, quite a bit. And it is X-Factor. Today we're going to be taking a look at X-Factor Volume 4, Number 6. Now this had a March 2021 cover date, which means it was the, uh, it's the first published in 2021 book that we're discussing uh, here on the show. The story title... Okay. Uh, Sweet Number 6... Skio Mi Nihel Skyr Second Movement. <sighs> okay, written by Leo Williams with art by David Baldion. Colors Israel Silva, letters VCs Joe Caramagna, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits Ballesteros, Bisa, Thomas White, Sabolski. A lot of folks. Cover price $4 and went on sale January 6th of this very year, 2021. So. As mentioned, this is the first published in 2021 book that we're discussing here on the show. Now we open with a mostly blank quote page. This time the quote comes from Siren. Now it's, you know, not terribly interesting, but there is something of interest here. Um, Below Siren's name, it looks as though there's a little bit of redaction. A little black bar, you know, we we see those quite a bit uh, in the X-books here. Not quite sure what that's all about just yet. We might have some sort of idea what it means when we get through this issue, but uh, no guarantees. From here, we jump over to the Boneyard, where X-Fact is kind of just chilling out. Uh, Lorna looks like she had a mess of an evening, and she's worried that she might have left a few frantic late-night voicemails for Alex. You know, her on-again, off-again beau, Alex Havoc, you know. I-Boy is so enamored with Prodigy's smooth voice that he begs him to read even the most dry stuff out loud. Something about beekeeping this uh, in this instance. So, okie dokie. Also, John Paul and his husband talk a bit about eating from the bagel bush that X-Factor received as a housewarming present all the way back in the first issue of the series. Now, this is uh, some fun domestic stuff here, but the scene is interrupted by a call to Lorna's phone. Now, she's initially worried that it's Alex, probably wondering why she left so many, many uh, odd you know, voicemails. Uh, but instead, it's actually a, from a number with a blocked caller ID or an unknown caller. She answers it, but it's for Northstar. Now, he's talking, and uh, he needs a pen to take down some notes, which leads to a cute little scene of Dakin, Dakin, uh, yoinking the pen that was holding Aurora's hair up in a bun to, hold, hand, uh, to hand it over to uh, Northstar. Now, this leads to her hair being let down, and it's a fun little exchange here. There's some knowing glances. It's, it's pretty cute stuff. Now, Northstar takes down the coordinate, coordinates of X-Factor's next destination, and we're off to the races. But first, our double-page spread of roll call and cred. We got Northstar, Prodigy, Prestige, Eyeboy, Polaris, Dakin, Dakin, and Aurora with the roll eyes. Back to comics, and our team is somewhere in the U.K., and they're here to recover the dead body of Siren. She's also on the cover of the book. Now you might be thinking, hey, didn't we already kill her last issue? And you'd be right. It turns out that this is Teresa's second death in five days. 
We meet a couple of the UK's finest. Naturally, we get a fellow who seems to be a big-time anti-mutant bigot, and he's tempered by the more open-minded and accepting younger female detective. Uh, gotta ask. I hate to be that guy, but wouldn't it be interesting if, uh, you know, maybe just once it was the other way around? Huh? Uh, what do I know? Now, X-Factor takes a look at Siren's body. Now, Siren, S-I-R-Y-N, her name, by the way, is one of the most difficult names for me to type. I don't think I've ever done it right the first time. I have similar troubles with Psylocke. I always spell it like Cycloak or Cycloak. <laughs> but Siren is like on a whole other level here. My fingers just cannot type that name. It's like S-I-Y-R-N. It, there's so many different ways that I, I want to spell Siren. It's just a pain in the ass. <laughs> um, anyway, there's a, a British forensics examin- examiner here as well who's attempting to take samples from Terry's corpse. Well, X-Factor doesn't like that one bit, and so Dakin, Dakin, uh, pops his claws, and iBoy hops in to use his microscopic vision. Now, what iBoy sees is... Well, it's interestingly laid out uh, and depicted here on the page, but really not anything I can draw any conclusions from. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm not supposed to see what he's saying. I don't know. Uh, Dakin, Dakin, uses his hyper-keen senses to suggest that Terry smells like cold medicine and cheap chocolate. And I think that's what some folks call date night. Uh, Amazing Baby pops in, which freaks out the forensics tech to the point where they faint. Eyeboy turns to Prodigy to ask if he can see everything he can regarding the wee pre-autopsy he's performing. Prodigy can, in fact, see, and it would appear that they might have found something out here. Over to the side, Polaris attempts to make this all about her. Now, she's sulking that Teresa, her friend, hasn't explained whether or not she's been going through anything. I mean, considering that she's died twice within a week, it stands to reason that there's... Maybe something going on, no? Uh, Northstar comforts Lorna, assures her that Terry is her friend, and also that they'll get to the bottom of this sooner rather than later. Northstar then turns to Dakin, Dakin, and gives him a surprisingly decent pep talk. He basically tells him that he doesn't think much of him, but he's hopeful that Akihiro can and will prove him wrong. And I gotta say, that's probably about as polite a compliment as you're gonna get from the Boubier. Uh, Rachel collects Teresa's body and prepares to take it back to the healing gardens for a more complete autopsy. Prodigy asks her to hold up for a moment because he'd like to go with. Now, as this is going on, Polaris is busy physically abusing the bigoted male detective because why not confirm all of his fear and hatred by hoisting him up in the air and slamming him down to the ground? Rachel tells David to check with Northstar to see if it's cool with him to come, and he explains to John Paul that he wants to chat up Dr. Reyes to make himself more useful to the team in a medic role. You see, this way, he'll be able to deduce cause of death right there on the spot. Northstar thinks this is a pretty good idea, and he gives it the old thumbs up. Now, as X-Factor go to take their leave, we get one more parting shot from the bigoted detective, which leads to Dakin Dakin popping his claws to scare him. Northstar wonders if X-Factor might need some official identification as they're going to be dealing with global law enforcement, to which iBoy is overly excited at the possibility of wearing a really cool badge. We shift scenes to the Healing Gardens, and to a very interesting scene. This is going to be our big takeaway scene here. Now, we got Prodigy, and he's sheepishly watching Cecilia Reyes perform this autopsy. She... Reyes actually seems quite uncomfortable with this. Uh, Rachel's there as well. Uh, She suggests that she could just email them the reports when she's done, right? Now, she finally stops to ask David, you know, what in the hell do you want? Why are you here? Because it's clear he's got some sort of burning question on the tip of his tongue here. Well, David kind of clams up, goes scared rabbit, doesn't answer, but Rachel does. Rachel pipes in with David's question, and uh, I tell you what, it's a goodie. She says, quote, he wants to ask you about what happens to Krakoans after this part, meaning the autopsy. Which is to say, what does she do with the bodies? Now, we know Krakoa has no graveyards. We remember hearing that during uh, Call Me Kate's, you know, funeral pyre, Viking funeral, whatever the hell it was. 
So how do dead mutants get dealt with? Huh. Now, Reyes is a bit cagey with her answer at first and seems more disturbed by why David would even ask this in the first place. Well, it seems like... uh, Seems like they come to an understanding Because we jump ahead and we're back to the boneyard Where Prodigy informs the team that he Is going to start a body farm there <clears throat> Northstar is decidedly not a fan of this idea uh, Basically, David is going to be bringing cadavers to the boneyard In order to study them He's going to try to track mutant decomposition Which has never been a thing to track before now And as such... Stands to reason that it might be some pretty groundbreaking and helpful research. I, I really, I really like this angle here because it's not something I ever thought about. Uh, you know, this is far from an obvious, uh, you know, story thread here, and, and I really, really like it. A uh, North Star, well, he doesn't like it, and it's funny as uh, as he's arguing with David, uh, North Star's husband, I think his name is Kyle. Uh, we should really commit that name to memory. But the husband is looking on, and he's chuckling at how much Jean-Paul sounds like a dad right now. Whatever the case, it looks like there's going to be a body farm at the Boneyard, so I guess we're going to have to update that cross-section schematic that we saw in the previous issue. Now we jump to later yet, where X-Factor is questioning the newly resurrected, again, Siren. Now what they really want to know is... How can someone with the ability to fly fall out of the sky to their death twice within one week? To which Terry is wildly defensive. And uh, she even goes as far as to blame her flight dysfunction on being drunk. Uh, Teresa is a recovering alcoholic, by the way. And uh, hope you all had a, had a great St. Patrick's Day. It's St. Patrick's Day as I record this. I got a stomach full of uh, soda bread right now. Now, X-Factor really isn't getting anywhere with their interrogation, and Siren has had just about enough of their questioning. And so she gets up to leave. She very nearly walks past a great big window, which would have given her a really good view of the new corpse garden, which would appear as though actually contains her own previous body. So, uh, yeah, that might get a little sticky with the explanation. Uh, It's worth noting that Rockslide's body is also here, which... I thought Rockslide went to pieces, but maybe not. Uh, there's also four other bodies, none of whom I can pinpoint. One of them has like one of those like Robin Hood, like Van Dyke beards. I don't know who it is. Um, if anybody who is listening knows who some of these characters might be, one of them we just see their foot, so that one's going to be a tough one to identify. But uh, there are a couple of faces here, just none of them really uh, ring a bell. Now, the team tries to settle Terry down, but she lashes out. She is so tired of this. She assures them that both of her recent deaths were nothing more than accidents, and then she goes to stomp away. Now here, X-Factor's powers combine in a new and interesting way. They uh, kind of put Terry through a sort of lie detector situation. Now Eyeboy uses his eyes to observe Terry's body language, and he deduces she's lying. Rachel then uses her telepathy, and she also knows that Terry's lying. Dakin Dakin uses his keen senses, and he, too, knows she's lying. Finally, Prodigy uses his ability to glom off of nearby mutants' powers in order to maybe do a little check and balance on the situation. And yeah, his vote makes it unanimous. Siren is most definitely lying. Now, Polaris goes to chase after her, and Siren is quite dismissive. She tells Laura to just worry about queuing up bodies and leave the heroing stuff to the big guns. To which, Polaris reminds her that she is, in fact, a big gun. They reference a story that I can barely remember from the old Peter David X-Factor Investigations volume, um, and at which time Siren's word balloons change. Uh, The text turns red and the bubbles get more uh, bubbly. She tells Lorna to leave her alone, and tells her that should X-Factor try and investigate any of her deaths again, Lorna is to sabotage any and all attempt. It looks as though Lorna is mesmerized via Siren's sonic hypnosis, which is a power I can hardly even remember her having. Uh, Polaris goes blank in the face and agrees. Siren walks off with a very evil look on her mug. We wrap up the issue with an info page, and it's a text message exchange between Prodigy and Windancer. Here, David talks a little bit about his death. We, you know, we know that he died and came back. 
He says that it occurred around the same time as Loa and Rain's deaths. And I'm going to have to assume that those deaths occurred during my ex-hiatus. So I cannot be of any help in that situation. If anybody listening has any insight, please feel free to let me know. This is like one of those situations where researching almost feels like cheating. Because uh, it's like, I don't want to portray myself as knowing these things when I actually don't. Uh, Next episode, we're going to be looking at the Hellions, the flagship book of this run. (laughs) But uh, how about we talk about the issue at hand here? Uh, Really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Never thought I would have come around this strongly to X-Factor, especially after, what was it, issue two? I was not a fan of that at all. Um, But we do have some takeaways here, and it's funny how, like, the main... Story thread here a Siren, you know, she gets the cover A lot of this is focused on Siren's uh, Multiple deaths here And that's kind of like the least interesting part Because there's so much other stuff going on here There's so much stuff to talk about That the Teresa stuff kind of just falls to the wayside here Especially since we don't get a whole lot um, We don't get a whole lot concrete about it We know that she is It looks like she's under some sort of control Um, We did see on that quote page that there was a redaction under her name So maybe she is reporting to someone Or maybe she is just being controlled by someone I mean, there are things we can talk about here Um, Like we can go back to the free comic book day issue We had that card, I think it was the uh, I don't remember which card it was It was the card with all the characters on it (laughs) But uh, in the free comic book day issue uh, We saw Banshee on that card but when we got to Exosword's creation, Siren was in his spot. You know, nobody mentioned anything changing, but she did replace him here. And I, part of me wonders, did something happen to her while she was, you know, on Otherworld? While she was uh, trying to avenge her father being, uh, you know, beaten up and nearly killed by the creepy summoner and the horseman, uh, you know, at the, at the very outset of the event. Maybe something happened to her there. Maybe she is... Infected by some sort of a menthi demon I mean, who knows? Stranger things have happened But let's talk about some other stuff here I know I had some fun with uh, iBoy Getting overly excited about the possibility of wearing badges You know? But it's it's a really good idea (laughs) to do that I mean, we have X-Factor who are dealing with um, All sorts of law enforcement here If they are the... You know, the one-stop shop for um, confirming, verifying mutant deaths on the planet Stands to reason they're going to be running into and running afoul of Many different um, aspects of law enforcement Just like they did here in the UK And it's funny, something that they talked about While they were talking to the uh, to the detectives Was the potential for like foul play and criminality in... Siren's uh, demise there Was she murdered? You know, that's something that I think a normal human detective would ask You know, whereas the mutant world is a little bit different than that And uh, we're just wondering, like, how she fell out of the sky here And especially when she comes back and she assures everyone that it was an accident It's, you know, she just, she was, she had too much to drink that night that's, that's, that might fly it, it doesn't fly in the mutant world It doesn't fly in Krakoa I mean, they ran her through the lie detector And deduced that she was lying But I think those rules might be a little bit more hard and fast In human law, right? They see this They want a full investigation Then here swoops in X-Factor And they're like, no, nah, we're just taking the body <laughs> Peace out, we're good It's, uh, it's an interesting thing Because, uh it, I don't want to say it's counterproductive, but it uh, doesn't. It might not inspire a whole lot of confidence in the rest of the world's law enforcement to see the mutants kind of just take care of their own and not really pay any mind to the whys and hows. Just more the okay, this is done, we can fix it. It's interesting. So maybe maybe I boy will get his badge and. Uh, X-Factor will be duly deputized uh, by some sort of world power outside of Krakoa That that recognizes them as a legitimate uh, law enforcement organization Um, While on the subject here, I mentioned it a little bit during the synopsis here But uh, 
We have two detectives. One is an old man. The other one is a young woman. The old man is a horrible bigot. The young woman is wildly open-minded and uh, just a really good person. I, I feel like uh, that, that that's kind of played out. <laughs> I mean, we can see it coming from a mile away, and I know why they do it, but it's a little tired. I think it would be a little bit more interesting if the roles were reversed here. You have a... Uh, have a fresh-faced, you know, recent college graduate who has a problem with mutants, and then you have the old, uh, the old salt on the uh, on the force being like, no, no, they're good people. I mean, I'm not saying either one is wrong or right, but it, it at least it would kind of it would get one past the goalie, so to speak. It would just be like, wow, I wasn't expecting that, because this is exactly what I was expecting, and this is exactly what we got. Let's get to our main takeaway here, which is. The scene with Prodigy and Cecilia Reyes. What happens to the bodies? Where do they go? And I mean, there are a f- there are a few things we can think of. I mean, there are some characters with uh, like vampiric tendencies on on Krakoa right now. We have Emplate, right? Uh, Monet Monet's brother. He is a sort of a vampire, right? He feeds off of marrow. Like, not the character Marrow. I, I suppose maybe the character Marrow, but in this situation, like, Bone Marrow. And uh, I wonder if, you know, these dead bodies are just, like, given to the vampiric characters there. It's like, okay, you can feed off this. Or are they fed to Krakoa? Would, would Krakoa be able to get any energy out of dead bodies? I don't know. Uh, I was always, you know, I always figured that he drained bodies, right? So I don't know if a body was dead if there was anything left to drain there. But it's a very interesting question, and it's not something I ever thought about before. And and I should have, because we did have Call Me Kate's funeral, where they mentioned there won't be a graveyard on Krakoa. And, it's, and then you think, it's like, wow, well, we've seen a lot of bodies come and go. You know, we, we did read that when they couldn't bring Call Me Kate back, they just, uh, <laughs> they just left the bodies out to sea. They, wa- they let them go out to sea. So, I mean... I suppose maybe we could think that that's what they're doing with the dead, with their dead. But I mean, that's uh, we talk about disrespect to the dead as it is. That's I don't know. It seems like even more so. But this takes us to the next point of prodigy learning uh, so much more about um, decomposition here. It's something that we may be able to refer to as like the Krakoa effect. You know how. How different is it for a body to decompose on Krakoa than it would in New York City or in Canada or in the UK? Is there something to Krakoa? Is there something to living in Krakoa that might expedite decomposition or slow down decomposition? Does it affect the way a body does de- you know, decompose here? It's just a very interesting Food for thought that I, I never considered before, and I, I like the idea of Prodigy training under uh, Cecilia Reyes here to become more of a team medic, to be able to make these calls in the field. I, I feel like it, it's not only responsible for the team, but it's also responsible in the storytelling way, where we don't have to cut to Krakoa for a scene of Cecilia Reyes going, "Oh yeah, she fell out of the sky." We don't need to do that. If uh, if David is you know trained enough to be able to make those deductions, we can we can just you know you know pop 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 and just keep going, tell the story here without uh, without having to break back to the healing gardens for uh, for a check in. So I think that could be very very cool here. And one more thing I want to say about this issue. Um, well, actually, two more things. First, uh, I'm really coming around to David Baldion's art, which is another thing I never thought I would do. But uh, it's good. It's it's different. It's stylized, but it's also very, very good. Um, I, I really sold him short during our first few issues here, where here it's a uh, it's perfectly fitting the tone, and it's a. Uh, He's, he's really, really hitting it hard in the facials here. I mean, the, these characters are so emotive, and you don't even need the word balloons a lot of the times. You could just tell what they're thinking, and that's really... I mean, I'm not an artist, but I could assume that that's very, very hard to do. But he does it here, and it's very, very good. And like I said, it fits the story, it fits the tone, and it fits this group of characters. Now, now the other thing I wanted to get to is... 
Last time we discussed an issue of X-Factor, I mentioned that it was oddly enough like the most traditional X-Men book that we have right now, which doesn't seem like it should be a thing considering you know how far out it could be and how uh, current year it can be. But I talked last issue about how we had, you know, a quiet issue, a post-crossover quiet issue that started bubbling a bunch of subplots, which is, you know, the bread and butter of of classic traditional X-Men comics and, and just comics storytelling. And it was very surprising to me. Well, here we are with issue six, where once again, this might just be the most traditional book we have right now. Something I'd like to point our attention to here is the fact that every character in our team here, and it's it's a wild little ensemble, but they all get a moment here, right? Even if it's a small moment, it's still far more than what we get sometimes from our current year X books here. A lot of times we introduce characters just so they can stand in the background. They can act as wallpaper. Here, they actually matter. We, we, we are actually spending little bits of time with each of these characters. They're each getting a moment to say something, to do something, to have a furtive little glance at one another. It's very, very well done, and I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. It's, it makes it feel like all of these characters matter. They're all here for a reason. They're not just here to stand, you know? Uh, this isn't... You know, we, we got to get Cyborg into the Justice League. we got to get Cyborg in the Justice League. Okay, what are we going to have him do? Oh, he's going to stand at the computer. Oh, is he going to do anything else? No, nah, no, nah, he'll just stand at the computer. We'll pop in on him every three issues because he'll say something to somebody. This isn't like that at all. This is, All these characters are, are they, they fit. In, I mean, even, even uh, what's his face? Amazing Baby got a scene here, <laughs> you know? It's just really, really well done. Um, I can't believe I'm saying this, but if you're not reading X-Factor... Do yourself a favor and try out X Factor. I think you might be just as surprised as I am at just how uh, how good and how traditional it is. Uh, if you're a longtime X Men fan, then this should be right up your alley. So, big thumbs up for this issue. Looking forward to more. I hope you are as well. But let's head over to the mailbag here. We got some stuff to talk about. Now we're going to start with Damien, who's talking about Sword S W O R D number one. Now, Damien says, This issue felt like it was regurgitating Jonathan Hickman's pitch for the series. All the memos and diagrams feel like they came directly from the head of X. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Um, I came away from S.W.O.R.D. Um, uh, more positive than I thought I'd be. Because I did flip through S.W.O.R.D. when I first got it in my uh, in my mail, you know, my, my DCBS pack. Uh, because... You know, sometimes if you're still buying physical comics, you can tell some of them are heftier than others. And like Sword, Sword was one of those books you didn't even need to look at the price of. You knew it was going to be overpriced because it was heavy. <laughs> it was a heavy book. Sometimes, sometimes we get books that are five bucks, and they don't feel much heavier than the than the three the four dollar book. Sword felt heavy, and so. Knowing that I was going to have to synopsize, analyze, and discuss it, I'm like, oh man, what am I in for? So I, I flipped through it, and yeah, there's a lot of memos in there, a lot of diagrams, and it felt very much like we were getting a, a return to you know the Hoxpox style here. And as much as we liked the Hoxpox style, th- this was a space story, and uh, I was a little trepidatious here. But I did come around to it. I I came out of it much more positive than I ever expected to. Now, Damien continues. I'm not a sci-fi fan, so I find a lot of this nonsense distances me from the book. Easy for me to say. Of course, as you said, there was some great character work to pull me into the story, so I'm both attracted and repelled. I suppose that's an appropriate response to a Magneto story. (laughs) Very, very well said. And, it I mean, we're in full agreement here. The space stuff I could do without, but the character work is very, very good. And I think a lot of you know that uh, I really didn't want to go into this praising Al Ewing, but uh, I have to because this is uh, i, I got to call him as I see him here. This is very, very good table setting and uh, storytelling and... Interactions between a weird, weird crew of characters. 
Uh, Damien continues, I do enjoy seeing some of the lesser lights of the X-Universe given a spotlight. It's great to see Magneto expressing a similar response to me. Excited to see Peepers and Frenzy, but disdainful of Fabian Cortez. I'm a little confused about Taki, though. He appears to be a full-grown adult. Does this mean that Inferno was 10 to 15 years ago in the sliding timescale? Artie and Leech don't appear to be any older than they were back then. Maybe we're just meant to ignore it. Yeah, I think that's it. We do. Uh, we are supposed to be ignoring that, I think, here. Um, or maybe they just don't know. I mean, we do have a whole lot of editors here, but it's funny. Every time we see Emma Frost on, on panel, she looks completely different. She has a different haircut in every single every single book she's in. So I don't know how much uh, continuity copping is going on and how much control editorial control is going on to where, I mean, a character we don't see ever in uh, in WizKid, he's he's a grown up now, and maybe the next time we see him, he'll be a kid, and no one will uh, no one will be allowed to ask what happened to him because we're not supposed to notice those things. But uh, I I'm with you there. I like uh, Magneto's. Uh, <laughs> I love the way that Magneto kind of hammed up his reaction to Peepers. He's like, oh my my good friend, my good friend, just like just really like sticking the dagger into Fabian Cortez, who wants to be Magneto's kind of lackey uh, during this scene here, and just really really driving the point home that like Cortez doesn't mean nothing. <laughs> He's even gonna go and you know blow sunshine up Peeper's skirt. You know, it's really really well done. Uh, Damien wraps up with anyway until Jonathan Hickman is revealed to be the head of ten. <laughs> Make my next lapsed. I think I think it was you, Damien, who said that uh, we're probably going to find out at some point that for all these years we've been reading The Ten Men. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I don't even want to put that out into the, uh, into the ether because I could see it happening. <laughs> but thank you so much for sharing your thoughts there on S.W.O.R.D. I was uh, really not sure how that one was going to go for plenty of reasons. And... Um, I'm glad we're coming out of it more positive than negative. Um, still a little trepidatious with the uh, King uh, King in Black storyline we got coming up, but uh, yeah, we'll worry about that another day. Uh, we got one more. It's from Andrew Franklin, and he's talking about X-Men number 16, which we just talked about last episode. He says, Assuming Sinister on Krakoa has none of the memories of the Sinister killed by Tarn the Uncaring in Hellions number 6, Sinister wouldn't even know to be wary of Tarn. Now, in X-Men number 16, we learned that Tarn the Uncaring is part of the Iraqi variation on the Quiet Council. He has a seat on that council here. And during the discussion, I had commented that, uh, you know, Tarn knows things, you know. Uh, Sinister, he set up his team, he got his DNA, and then he killed his team, so they wouldn't know anything. They'd be resurrected and not have memories of being turned on or, or betrayed. Well, Tarn saw a lot of that go down. Well, he saw the stuff that went down in Amenth or Araco or wherever the hell we were. So he saw that. So he might have Sinister at a disadvantage here. Uh, now, Andrew is suggesting that since it was Sinister's clone that died, Sinister Prime might not even know he might not know who Tarn is upon seeing him here, which is a very good point. But as I mentioned last episode, I'm not sure what the deal is with the Sinister Hive Mind. Seems like sometimes it's in effect, sometimes it's not. So I don't know what how they're going to play it here. I'm confident that, however, no matter how they play it, it's going to be well done if it's, you know, if it's in the Hellions book anyway. So I just wonder... Um, you know, is this a hive mind situation or is this a uh, something else altogether? Now, Andrew continues. Imagine the first meeting of the two councils when Tarn realizes that Sinister is alive and well on Krakoa and has seemingly no knowledge of their deadly encounter. That would make for an interesting situation, having sassy Sinister all bluster and ego without knowing that Tarn might be a real threat who has some damning information about him. And if Tarn is the equivalent of Sinister, who knows what experiments he has done with the remains of that cloned Sinister. Great points. And now I'm hoping that I'm wrong. I'm hoping that Sinister doesn't have the hive mind here. And uh, I would love to see him all, like you said here, full of bluster and ego. Yeah, it's you. Uh, nice to meet you. And Tarn's like, yeah, I know you. 
As a matter of fact, I have one of you. And here he is, covered in, you know, spikes and, and, and slime and drool and, and uh, spiky bones. Uh, it, that could be really, really cool. I think that could be really funny, actually. Uh, Andrew continues, I won't be surprised if it's revealed that Sinister's collection drones had recorded the whole encounter for Sinister to watch, but still, it would be interesting to see Sinister without the upper hand for once with someone who could be in a position as a real threat to him. And that, that made me think of something else here. Um, what if Sinister's uh, you know little uh, DNA mosquitoes did record it and Sinister doesn't even realize it? I mean that would be funny too, having you know his own his own tool of collection be his undoing. Uh, if the Quiet Council finds out, all interesting stuff here, which is great. Uh, that those you know him, uh, what's it, Tarn the Uncaring and Idol, being named as uh, Iraqi Ring of whatever the hell uh, Quiet Council members, opens up so many possibilities, so many interesting opportunities for. Uh, for very fun stories So definitely looking forward to that Thank you for sharing your thoughts on that And that is where we're going to leave the mailbag for today But we're not done yet You see We're getting closer and closer to being caught up Like real time Which If you would have asked me back on September 1st uh, 2020 when we started this show When we'd be current uh, I would have said Oh before Christmas No <laughs> No, we were probably about a month or so away, maybe maybe a month and a half away from being up to date to where my short box of Hox, Pox, Docs, Rock, Socks books will be completely empty until I get my month, once a month shipment. So, considering that we are getting so close to real time, I thought it might be an interesting thing to do to take a flip through the old Marvel previews and... Uh, Look at the solicitations coming up for Well, we're in March right now As, uh, as I'm recording this It's St. Patrick's Day, actually And uh, I figured it'd be cool to maybe look a month ahead You know, maybe we'll plan our shopping lists together here For, uh, for following along So we are going to look at Marvel Free Previews number 8 Which had a February 2021 cover date For April 21, 2021 shipping and we're going to see what we can see about what is uh, coming down the pike for us here. Now, the covers for this uh, previews are decidedly non-eccentric. Um, we get Venom number 200 and Black Panther number 25, respectively. But let's cut inside here and look at the X stuff. Now, the big X book of the month looks to be Way of X. And it gets three pages of coverage in this issue. And from the art we get here, it looks as though this book will feature, uh, in addition to Nightcrawler, of course, um, Pixie, Blink, Loa, DJ, and Dr. Nemesis. Now, I'm only guessing that it's DJ because we did see him actually just in the last issue of X-Factor during, uh, during the party that they had to uh, you know, ring in the reign of X, I guess. The character here has headphones, so I'm assuming it's DJ. I hope I'm not profiling a guy with headphones as being a guy who can do music stuff, but I think it's DJ. Now, uh, Dr. Nemesis, it is Simon Spurrier writing this, and he does seem to like him some Dr. Nemesis. I remember he wrote the X-Club book, uh, the miniseries, back in the long ago, which featured the X-Men's science team. And during it, he used a fraption. You all remember fractions? You remember those? Those really cringy Matt Fraction captions where he they'd introduce each character and then have like a pithy little descriptive comment. Yeah, those were fractions. Um, and I remember Dr. Nemesis' fraction was science bastard. Mm, that's, some, uh, that's some retweet bait for you right there. Um, anyway, now Way of X number one will be naturally a $5 book. Uh, Bob Quinn is listed as our artist, and from the pages that we see here, he's quite a good one. I don't think I've ever heard of him before, but this is some really good-looking stuff here. I'm, I'm looking forward to this uh, for a lot of reasons, actually. Let's get into the solicit. Mutant Kind has built a new Eden, but there are serpents in this garden. I don't think we need to explain that. Some mutants struggle to fit in. Some mutants turn to violence and death. And the children whisper of the patchwork man singing in their hearts. 
Only one mutant senses the looming shadows. Snared by questions of death, law, and love, only Nightcrawler can fight for the soul of Krakoa. Only he and the curious crew he assembles can help mutants defeat their inner darkness and find a new way to live. Now, uh, this is a book I'm looking forward to. Um, Though, since it has to do with religion and it is a current year Marvel book, I do worry a little bit about... Things like sensitivity and subtlety. (laughs) Um, I suppose we're going to have to wait and see on that. Uh, Something I appreciate about this book is that it feels far less like bloat than some of the other books that we've gotten to this point. Um, It would appear as though this actually has a reason to exist. You know, uh, providing some answers to some of our long-standing burning questions uh, ever since The Crucible, right? Uh, We saw the Crucible, and at the end of that, Nightcrawler suggests that maybe he should uh, start a religion. And I think a lot of those pieces are going to fall into place in Way of X, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. Another book in the previews, we got X-Men Legends number three. This is not part of our Hox, Pox, Doc, Socks, Rocks purview, but it is an X-book, so we'll look at it uh, at least in a little bit. Uh, this issue will be a throwback to the Simon Zizzizzizz's run on X-Factor. The solicit goes something like this. The mutants once known as the original X-Men now fight the good fight as the mutant team X-Factor. Together with their mysterious sentient spaceship ship and the newly transformed Archangel, they've defeated Cameron Hodge and foiled Apocalypse's scheme. But as ship starts to malfunction, Apocalypse's true plan unfolds. And there's a notation here that says that this story takes place before X-Factor number 43. So, that puts it right after the team has that run-in with Alchemy, who was the uh, winner of that uh, Create a Mutant contest that they ran probably a year or two before that. And I think the character was originally supposed to start uh, star in the uh, New Mutants, an issue of the New Mutants, maybe even join the New Mutants, but... Uh, well, it didn't quite go that way, so they, they put poor Alchemy in a two-parter in X-Factor, and uh, he was seen very seldom since. But after that story, um, the X-Factor team was swept away to the Judgment War by the Celestials. Now, this is what I refer to as like my back-issue wheelhouse, because these were the very first back-issues of an X-Book that I bought. Um, the X-Factor 40s were some of the absolute cheapest books in the bins, <laughs> and as such... As a 12-year-old fan, I snapped them up. Um, so I'm definitely interested in checking this out. Though, I mean, I'm not sure we'll ever actually get around to talking about it at length on the show. It is something I'm interested in checking out. Uh, the cover looks like, uh, well, just about any X-Factor cover from that era. It actually looks kind of like an homage to X-Factor number 1 with the characters' poses, but the characters are in more contemporary, for the time, costumes. Uh, Cyclops is without head sock, which isn't accurate, but uh, I like that look better, so I guess we'll just allow it. Uh, another book we got is Sword Number 5. Now, the caption here is, On Krakoa, Fabian Cortez and the Quiet Council discuss the rules of murder. But in space, the murders have already begun, and the killer has a connection to Cortez he'd never suspect. The, cover, the color may be gold, but this, my friends, is pure giallo. Now, giallo means yellow in Italian, and is often used in reference to cheap paperback mystery novels in Italy, which often come with yellow covers. We learn something new every day. Uh, This cover is indeed yellow, and it has a dead lizard man in the background. Um, And, you know, it's solicits like this that make me kind of wary of reading solicits at all. Uh, Even though it is vague, I do feel like we've kind of been spoiled (laughs) on something that's to come. I don't know that I have any better ideas of trying to sell comics, but uh, yeah, what are you going to do? We also have Excalibur number 20. This one gets a very small blurb. Um, It is, an invisible thread is loose on the island of Krakoa, unseen, unheard, undetectable by any, except Excalibur. Hey, does this mean we get an issue of Excalibur that isn't in Otherworld? I might have to buy two copies of this one just to uh, just to vote with my wallet twice. Um, now, this cover features Rogue front and center. Behind her to the left, our left, her right, is Betsy Britton. To our right, her left, is Psylocke. Uh, 
Well, even if we're not in Tired Old Otherworld, we're still going to be dealing with a Tired Old concept, aren't we? Oh, well. Uh, Next, Marauders number 19. This is another small blurb. It goes a little something like this. As the pressure pours on in Madripoor, the the Marauders prepare to pillage and plunder as a proper pirate pleases. Prepare to pillage and plunder as a proper pirate pleases. Try saying that a few more times. Um, Now, this one sounds fun. This one sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, The cover features Call Me Kate, Callisto, and Bishop. Uh, Kitty is sitting on a crate waving a pirate flag, or the Marauder's flag, basically. So that's a goodie. Um, Next up, Wolverine number 11, which gets a full page. And it gets a caption, Snickter view with a vampire. (laughs) Okay, okay, we'll allow it. Uh, Worth noting, uh, Scott Eaton will be in the artist chair for this one, so we'll get neither of our regular Wolvie artists here. Uh, The caption is, Wolverine takes the fight to the Vampire Nation in a quest to stop Dracula's plan to co-opt his mutant healing factor. But what sacrifices and moral compromises must be made before the humans and mutants see the dawn? Eh. Well, I guess we're still doing the vampire story. Uh, The cover features Wolverine, Omega Red, and uh, that vampire hunter What's-Her-Face, who we met all the way back in Wolverine number one. Don't know if they're all on the same side here. It kind of looks like they are. So maybe Wolverine and Omega Red will put their differences aside to fight Dracula. I guess we'll see. Next up, Children of the Atom, number two. A local prison riot is quickly turning into an, es- into an escape, and the only ones who can stop them are a bunch of high schoolers. The strangest teens of all are on the case. Guess starring the Avengers? Oh, gross. Um... Well, I, I guess in fairness, I don't think we've seen the Avengers in the next book since Professor X's telepathic message back during Hoxpox. So I guess it's uh, it's, it's about time, right? Where have you? What took you so long, Avengers? Come and screw up our books. Um, next, Cable number 10. As Cable and company draw closer to the secret of the missing child, a reckoning draws ever closer. And this cover features Cable, both the kid and old man version, uh, the cuckoo that he's crushing on, and Domino. And I'm going to guess here that we're back to the business of the cult, which, hey, that is something we've been looking forward to. If uh, if the uh, old Festival of Swords didn't get in the way, we would have uh, probably been there by now. Next, X-Force number 19. The only way to battle the nightmare is on its own turf. Sweet dreams, Quentin Quire. Eh... Uh, now, worth noting, uh, Gary Brown is listed as artist, so we'll get no Kassara this time out. Uh, the cover features Jean Grey, who seems to appear more in this book since quitting the team than she ever did before. Uh, she's on her knees with a bunch of nightmarish versions of X-Force streaming out of her head. It's a very nice-looking cover. Next up, New Mutants number 17. Now, our blurb reads, with a mutant child lost in other world. Oh, come on. Really, we get a break from Otherworld and Excalibur, and we gotta go there now? And another lost kid? Do we have one of those in Cable? Okay, okay. With a mutant child lost in Otherworld, it's up to the new mutants to find and extract him, without losing themselves in the process. Meanwhile, on Krakoa, Warlock makes a friend, Wolfsbane makes a friend, Magic makes some enemies. Oi, okay. Next, Avengers number 44. This is the finale to the Enter the Phoenix storyline, which is something that I'm only mentioning as a completionist. I'm not actually buying or reading it. Um, And to be honest, it feels like Marvel has kind of co-opted the Phoenix entity from the X-Men fiefdom and made it a more all-encompassing Marvel threat. So it probably barely even registers for us anymore. I just figured I'd mention it in case anyone out there is interested in tracking the Phoenix. If you want the Phoenix, it's in Avengers now. Finally, we have Runaways, number 35. Wolverine and Pixie's guest stint on Runaways comes to a close, but does that mean Molly Hayes' time as a runaway does too? Now, we will be discussing the three-part Wolverine-Pixie stint on Runaways on the show. Um, They'll probably get full episodes each issue, and the first part is tentatively scheduled for episode 161, so we're not... Well, not, it's not like right around the corner, but it's not far off either. We will be covering Runaways 33, 34, and 35. And that's that for the solicits here. It's worth noting, we get no solicits for X-Men, X-Factor, 
and Hellions. So uh, two of our uh, good books and an X-Men <laughs> will not be coming out in April. Now, for those planning your trips to the comic shop, let me help you out here. On April 7th, you're going to want to bring $12 to the store to buy Excalibur number 20, Marauders number 19, and Runaways number 35. On April 14th, only $8. I mean, of course, you're going to want tax as well. Uh, 14th is Children of the Atom number 2 and Wolverine number 11. April 21st is a $13 week. Sword number 5, Way of X number 1, and X-Force 19. April 28th is another $12 week. Yeah, Cable number 10, New Mutants number 17, and X-Men Legends number 3. So that is a $45 month, 48 if you're going to pick up that Phoenix issue of the Avengers. So uh, for about 50 bucks, uh, $50, oh boy. No wonder so many people use them off limited nowadays. Oh boy, uh, this is just the X-Men books. This doesn't count the Skadey 800 Avengers books and Spider-Man books and everything the other companies are putting out. This is, this is an expensive hobby, isn't it? This is a damn expensive hobby. But... That's where we're going to leave it. We're not going to be doing solicits every episode, just uh, probably probably once a month, just to try to keep ourselves up to date here and know what's coming down the chute. And uh, it'll also help me to make sure my orders are, are as complete as they, uh, as they need to be to uh, make sure we're on top of things and I don't have to make last-minute runs to the shop. I hope this was helpful or at least uh, enjoyable to listen to. Um, and if you want me to cover the books that came out this month, the March uh, previews, uh, let me know, and I'll I'll do that. It's not a not a problem at all. But uh, that'll do it for the episode. If uh, you would like to write in and be a part of the show, uh, please feel free to do so. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can follow me on Twitter at Ace Comics if you uh, decide to. You can also shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. New content every day for over five years now. Uh, there's also xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com if all you want is the X stuff. Uh, you can chat with us on Facebook. I just I just edited the name of our group. Uh, it was From Claremont to Claremont. Now it's From Claremont to Claremont and Xlapsed. Uh, you can find us there at 90sxmen, 90SXMEN. Finally, if you want to hear more comics, talks, and discussion, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. You could find us on any of your noise aggregation systems and applications. So uh, chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And if you enjoy the content or at least appreciate the effort that goes behind it, please consider uh, spreading the word, sharing it, uh, let people know that it's a thing that exists and it's, it might just be something that they enjoy. I'm not really good at asking for help, but uh, that's exactly what I'm doing right now. So if you, uh, if it's not too much trouble, uh, please consider sharing and spreading the word. Uh, that'll do it for today. I want to thank you all so, so much for spending a little bit extra time with me today to go through uh, the Marvel Previews catalog. I hope you uh, enjoyed it as much as I did. I, I had a pretty good time going through and uh, getting myself all jazzed up for what's uh, what's. Heading our way very, very shortly. So uh, thank you all so much for hanging out with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.